the last time I stood before you, I asked you to ask yourself this heart question. If you could control that situation in your life that is out of your control, would you? Or would you leave it for God to do with it what he wills? What we learned is that the reality is you don't have control. We can try to have control. We can fool ourselves into thinking that we have control. But at the bottom, every single one of us knows we don't have the kind of control that our hearts desire and long for. If you could, you would. But the reason why you can't control the situation that you find yourself in right now is because you can't, because God is the God of total control. And we saw in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, which makes it very clear that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Your destiny from beginning to end is under the total control of a God who is in control of all things. Now, here's one of the hardest realities about that reality, about us, about this universe, and about God is because he is in total control and because we are not, we have to wait. 25 years, 300 months, 1,300 weeks, 9,125 days. That's how long Abraham and Sarah waited between hearing God's promise and holding their son. I want you to feel that. We can read the story quickly, but can you feel how long they had to wait? What about King David? King David waited for over 20 years of his life to be made king. Not only is 20 years long, but what's so profound about that is that the majority of those 20 years, David was running for his life from King Saul. What about the prophet Isaiah? During the time of Babylonian captivity, or the prophet Jeremiah, during the time of lamentations, Israel waited 70 years for deliverance. And those 70 years they had to wait was because of their own doing. Where are you right now? Because you don't have control. Where are you waiting? Perhaps you're waiting with Abraham, waiting for a promise from God's word that is clear for you in Christ Jesus to blossom, and yet it still has taken time to root. Perhaps right now you find yourself waiting like King David, finding yourself in some spiritual or relational pit, waiting for God to draw you out. Or maybe you find yourself right now waiting like the prophet Jeremiah, where you are waiting for rescue as you lie in a ruin 
of your own making, waiting for God to rescue and redeem. Or possibly with Isaiah, as you are attempting to walk with God in your waiting, it feels so much like his face is hidden from you. And you only wish in your waiting that you could see God again. Where are you in your waiting? Maybe you're waiting for an area in your life to change. I know there are some sins that came out of my life just this week that as I looked at them, as I looked at my wife, I long for the simple fact that one day I won't fall into that area of sin again. I just found my heart longing, saying, God, how long? You see, we wait. Because we can't control, we have to wait. We wait for relief from the chronic pain. We wait for relief from the financial stress. We wait for a mending of that fractured relationship. Young people in the crowd, my, my teenagers, my middle schoolers, you might be waiting for some things. Maybe you're waiting for your first phone. Can't wait to get that phone. Or maybe you're waiting to date. Don't worry about it. If you're a parent, don't let them date until they're 52. That's what I'm working on. But I'm not doing so good at that. Maybe as a young person, you're waiting to not have your parents finally stop telling you what to do. I know I couldn't wait for that when I was young. You see, we yearn. We yearn in various areas of our lives. We yearn for change. We yearn for change even in our leaders. There may be things about myself, Pastor James, Pastor James probably more than me, that you've been waiting for all of these years. By the grace of God, one day they will come. Maybe you're waiting on that area in your workplace that you want to see shift and change. School, whatever it may be. But the reality that we saw a couple weeks ago was that God is in total control and no amount of maneuvering or willing it will ultimately change what God has determined for you. So all you must do is what? Wait. And here's what you know. It is so hard to walk in. The call to wait is going to require patience. You see, if you're not going to lose yourself in some way while you wait, which a lot of us do, if you're not going to fall into depression while you're waiting, if, if you're not going to be preoccupied with restless anxiety while you're waiting, if you're not going to do something stupid that in the end is going to make the thing that you're waiting for even worse before you get to the thing you're waiting for, you're going to need patience. And see, patience is not quite the same as waiting. Because waiting is something you have to do. You have no choice. Patience is how you wait. And listen, patience in Christ, in your waiting, is actually a declaration of love to God. 
First Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is what? Patient. So when you're waiting in patience, it is actually a declaration to God saying, I love you. So you can, you can wait in different ways than just patience, can't you? You can wait stomping your feet. You can wait grumbling and complaining. But we want to wait in patience. Jenny Ortland writes, we love God through our patience. As we tenaciously keep praying for that wandering child. As we calmly absorb the dreaded diagnosis. As we diligently think through the unavoidable debt. Faithfully persevere through that less than exciting job. Or quietly accept God's plan for our future, even when it differs from our dreams. Is that any of us this morning? Old Testament scholar John Oswald writes, Biblically speaking, patient waiting is, the, is to exercise a patient, confident, and expectant faith. See, patient waiting is to walk in the kind of trust that is willing to commit itself to God over the long haul. It is to continue to believe and expect when all others have given up. It is to believe that it is better for something to happen in God's time than for it to happen in my time and in my own initiative. This is where we want to be, is it not, in our waiting? At least when I hear that, that's where I want to be. But so many ways I find myself far from it. And so the question I ask this morning is, how do we walk in a patient waiting that will usher in contentment and rest? How do we walk in patient waiting? Well, we find ourselves primarily today in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah in many ways, is about waiting. There are numerous passages all throughout the book. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 23. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust off your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. You see, the reason why this theme runs through Isaiah is because the children of Israel were in or about to be in Babylonian captivity. They were about to step into 70 years of waiting. Waiting for a God whose face is hidden to ultimately and finally hopefully reveal himself to his people. They were waiting for a release from 70 years of captivity. But even beyond the 70 years, Israel was waiting for the restoration of a people from long before they were exiled. They were waiting for a capital S servant 
to deal the death blow to their sin. Israel was waiting. They were waiting for a Messiah to come and establish his kingdom forever. There was a waiting. And this is why through the book of Isaiah, there's this constant theme, Israel, wait. And here's why I say it is our aim before God meets us in our waiting to step into patient waiting is because every instance that you saw here of the word wait in the book of Isaiah is in the imperfect. The imperfect means continuous. It means constant. It means that the people of God are to be consistently characterized by waiting. And so this is why I think Isaiah is a fitting book to speak to us in this regard. There are six passages in Isaiah on waiting. So there must be something in Isaiah to help us as we live in between our areas of desired outcome. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to highlight two of those six passages. And I want us to see four postures that empower patient waiting. Four postures that empower patient waiting. Now let's see the first posture. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 64 and have your finger in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 64 and Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to first start in Isaiah chapter 64. The first posture that empowers patient waiting. Verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations will tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Can you see Isaiah's posture here? I want to ask you the question as you're looking, and I'm asking you this. What is his posture? Where do you see Isaiah looking that he might step into the kind of waiting that God wants him to? What Isaiah is doing is he's looking back. The first posture that empowers patient waiting is looking back at all that God has been for you. We see it in verse 3. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, that we did not expect, you came down and mountains quaked, past tense, at your presence. I like how he says things that we didn't look for. He's highlighting the fact that he wanted Israel to remember that God not only showed up, but he showed up in the past in ways that they did not expect. 
in ways that were beyond what they would even or could have even imagined. He showed up by splitting seas. They could have never expected that. He showed up by bringing food from heaven. They could not have expected that. He showed up by bringing water from rocks. They could not have expected that. And above all things, their God had destroyed in the Exodus the greatest known power in the world. The coming down of the Lord for them in the past had been beyond expectation. I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you have things that you can look back on where God showed up in ways that you did not expect? I can think of some things now of my own life. The knock at the door. When somebody handed me an envelope. When the financials were in a rough place. Even just recently, two of our cars blew up in one week. We're down to one car. And my daughter, Trinity, was going to D.C. This is a plug for D.C.s. If you're in small groups, you're not in a small group, get in a small group. This is what family is all about. This is church's family right here, for real. So my daughter works at like 5.30 in the morning, like three days out of the week. So we only got one car, and the car that we got is a manual transmission, stick shift. Okay, anybody know how to drive stick shift up in here? Come on, let's see some my, my my dogs. Yeah, yeah. My wife, my wife. You go, girl. Oh, man, I told her all the time. That's why I married you, girl. Watching my wife drive that stick is just sexy. Anyway, all right. All right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to slow down. I'm telling you. So I'm like, baby girl can't drive a stick, which, is tell, I'm, I'm, which I'm a teacher. I got you, girl. We're going to teach you how to drive that stick, too. But I was going to have to wake up. And so she had to go to D.C., and so she told her, her small group, that's our small group ministry called DC Discipleship Community. She called her small group. And one of the small group leaders, Jen, came and picked her up. And so picked her up, brought her to DC, and Trinity was kind of sharing what the challenges were. Uh, and um, Jen and Tom got to having a conversation behind her back. She's ready to leave. Uh, Danielle as a part of the group. She was going to bring Trinity home. And Jen was like, no, 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 no. Why don't you just take our car? So she's like, what you mean? No, no, no. Like, take the car and you can have it as long as you need it because we don't really use it that much. And Trinity wasn't really sure kind of how to respond to that. And I could tell because when she came home, that's why I say like, she, she looked, she was like, she drove up. And I was looking, I was looking for Jen to be in the car. She drove up and she was by herself and she walked in with the keys. And I'm like, hold up. Did, you didn't steal that car now, did you, girl? You better go get that thing back. <laughs> and she, she kind of looked, and she was kind of stuttering. She was like, I, I, they said I could use it as much as I need it. And she, we both kind of stood there like, I don't know what to do with that. Like, that's kind of, like, who does that, right? We didn't know, we didn't expect that. That's church's family, amen? That's the power of the church's community. And it just blessed our hearts in that way. But see, those are things that you can look back on to see that God did things in ways that you did not expect. And even now, you guys know we're in our building campaign. 
We've already been seeing God do things that we did not expect, amen? Well, we just got a report of where we are presently in the process. And again, maybe that's the pessimism in me, but really with this whole issue of us kind of presenting our case for seller financing, uh, the default that we told you of the other individuals that were part of the organization and how the, you know, they were like, man, they, those people defaulted. We don't know if we want to let you guys have seller financing because y'all might default on us too. We got some other offers that kind of look attractive. So I was thinking, man, they're not going to go with us. Well, we just found out that the other party was eliminated for various reasons. They took our case, and we told you guys to be praying about this. But we took, they took our case before the board of directors. The board of directors heard our case along with the broker who presented it, and they said, we actually want to do seller financing. We like what you guys have to offer. Didn't expect that. And we are now at the top of the list and the only ones at this point under consideration. There's only one more step. One more step. One more step. Amen? So now they have to go to, I think, the executive board of directors. I think there's all of these board of directors. But the executives are the last board. But now we've got the broker on our side and we've got the board of directors on our side and now they just got to present it to the executive board of directors. Once they sign off on it, we're done. We got a church building. All right? Amen? You see, but see, that gives us as a community something we can look back on. Right? It's look, and haven't we been waiting? We've been waiting. And the temptation to be in anxiety, the temptation to be in frustration, all those different things have been there. But God tells his people, I want you to be a patiently waiting people. And the way you do that, look back, look back. What's phenomenal to me is Psalm 89, and you can turn there, just I want you to see it visually. I want you to see it visually. Psalm 89 is amazing because when you look at it, Starting at verse 1, all the way down to verse 37 is a remarkable example of letting the past speak to your present. Now, the psalmist is in dire and desperate need, but you would not know that until verse 38. Look at it. Look at it. I want you to visually see it from verses 1 all the way down to verse 37. You know what he's doing? He's just talking about all of the ways that God has been what he has been for him and his people in the past. He's talking about God's faithfulness to all generations, verse 1. He then goes back to the Exodus, the promised land, the covenants with David, Psalm 89, verses 9 through 10, verses 15 through 16, and verses 19 through 37. Those things were an immovable monument. Then after 37 verses of looking back and singing praises to God, then he pours out all of the challenges that he's dealing with and what he's waiting for. Do you have a monument 
where you could sing and declare for 37 verses. What are your 37 verses? Do you got 37 verses? Do you got something that you can look back and declare, my God is for me, I've seen it. My wife, she has a, a monument of 37 voice verses in our home, and I have a picture of that. And if you ever come to our household, uh, my wife has put up this, this monument, and it has all of these various things that just remind us as a, as a family to look back. So you can see the picture there. So if you ever come to our house, maybe you can ask my wife to tell you something about each and every single one of those. Because those are things that she especially uses to remind her of all the ways that God has met us in the past. To ground and root us in the present. And there are powerful, wonderful stories for us as a family. You see, you've got to plunder the past to empower a patient present. You got to sit beside the miraculous. If there's nothing that you can find, you know what you can find? You can find a miraculous pregnancy of a virgin birth. You can find a Christ who condescended and was born in the flesh. You can find a cross that was carried. You can meditate on Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, every spiritual blessing that is secured for you in the heavenly places, in the past that was rewarded to you in Christ. Maybe some of you need to write down your Exodus story. Maybe you need to set up a monument like my wife has. Something that you can place before you visibly, where you can, as a discipline, before you walk out the door, go to that monument. To remind yourself of all the ways that God has met you in those places where you've waited. The first posture is to look back. The second posture that empowers patience in your waiting is to look up. That takes us to Isaiah chapter 40, to look up. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9. All he's doing from verse 9 all the way down is looking up. Verse 9, go up on to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And then what does he do? He starts to just behold God. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and hills in a balance? Behold your God. Verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult or who made him understand? Who taught him both the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him in 
the way of understanding. Behold your God. Verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Behold your God. Verse 21, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Behold your God. Verse 25, to whom then will you compare me? Then how, who should I be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he is increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Behold your God. You notice what Isaiah does before he tells them to wait. He spends verse 9 all the way to verse 26 saying look up look up look up look up you see the ground that God is using to empower patient waiting is to look up so when you feel verse 27 when you feel verse 27 why do you say O Jacob and speak O Israel my way is hidden from the Lord do you feel like your way is hidden from the Lord? Do you feel like verse 27 that God has disregarded where you find yourself right now? Look up. Look up. Because you can know that the God that you're looking up to in Christ is always looking down. What do I mean? When you feel like God has forgotten you when you're waiting, when you feel like God has forgotten you in your waiting, I want you to remember Isaiah chapter 49, verses 14 through 16. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. You hear him? My Lord has forgotten me. That's the retort. But now listen how he responds in verse 15 of chapter 49 in Isaiah. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Any mothers out there? It's hard for a mom to forget a nursing child. But then he says this, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Then he uses something else. Watch this. Verse 16. Behold, 
I have engraved you on the what? The palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. This is a scripture that says tattooing is, God says it's okay to get tattoos. Amen. So Pastor James is good. No, no, no. You, as you look up, you know what God does? He looks down. You know what he looks down? He looks at his palm. And guess whose name is there? tattooed, engraved. And what's crazy about that is that is a condescension. You want to know who's supposed to have the tattoo on their hand? The servant, not the master. The master puts the servant's name on his hand. This is what's going to be so powerful because I'm asking this question. Do you see the cross in this? Do you see the cross in this? Jesus Christ for all eternity will have scars. He can't forget. Jesus Christ, the perfect son of the living God forever. You got to feel that. In eternity will walk with scars. The cross is a declaration that you are not forgotten. Look back. Look up. And some of us got to fight to look up. But I want to encourage you to fight. Scour God's word for images of God and who he is. Study systematic theology. And learn the nature of your God who loves you so deeply. If you want a reference for a good systematic theology, Dr. Wayne Grudem. Memorize. This is a good one. Memorize Isaiah 49 through 26. Memorize it. There are some stunning pictures of our God in those verses. Look back, look up. The third posture that empowers patience in your looking, in your waiting, is look forward. Look back, look up, look forward. And we see the call to look forward in both the passages that I have you in, Isaiah 64 and Isaiah 40. In Isaiah 64, verse 4, for of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait. God's going to meet you. It's coming. Look forward. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God is going to meet you in your waiting. He 
will not give you perhaps what you're waiting for. Some of you are waiting for blank. God may not give you that, but he's going to give you something beyond your expectations. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, far more abundantly than we can even ask or think. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, what eye has seen, what ear has heard, what heart has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. If a son asks for bread, will the father give him a what? Stone. How much more will our father in heaven give us his Holy Spirit? God's going to meet you when you're waiting. He's going to give you something far better than you could have imagined or hoped for. It may not be what you're waiting for, but it's going to be much better. It's coming. Look back, look up, look forward. And lastly, while you wait for him to act, The fourth and final posture is to look down. And I'm going to go to Psalm 37 for this. In Psalm 37, starting at verse 1, this is King David. And if anybody knew about waiting, as I mentioned earlier, it was King David. And he says, starting in verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The topic here is injustice. David is waiting, as you can see, for the scales of justice to be made right. And his focus is on others. And a lot of times he even says, don't envy. And a lot of times we envy in our waiting. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, do we not? We envy what you have. You got what I'm waiting for, and so I'm full of what? Envy toward you. I'm envious of this situation and that situation. It's not even right because if I had what you had, I'd be a lot better at stewarding it than you do. And there's that envy there. And so David says that while you wait, while you wait in that place of injustice, what does he say that you do? Verse 3, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land. That's look down. Look down. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Look down at the present place where God has you and be faithful right where you are. 
Because see, here's the temptation in your waiting. We can be so preoccupied with looking forward that we miss living in the present. Can I get an amen? Or is that just me? Each sunrise, as we anticipate what we're waiting for, gives us this sense of a hope deferred, right? We, we can walk into our days with, with little relish for expectation. The world is kind of moving all around us, but we're stranded on life's train. We're stuck, we're stalled, we're motionless, and we're just waiting. And life can't begin until the waiting ends. But we learned in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. You notice how I keep bringing in Ephesians. Love me Ephesians, boy. Redeem the time for the days of evil. Redeem the time. Walk in the right now. Befriend faithfulness. Dwell in the land. Be present in your waiting. Listen. Listen. There is a ministry and a maturity that is yours on your present path. Gladys... A. Ward, a 20th century English missionary to China, knew how to do good while she waited. She lived in the present. Early in her career, as a single missionary, she began to desire a husband. And Elizabeth Elliot writes, being a woman of prayer, she prayed. A straightforward request that God would call a man from England, send him straight out to China, and have him propose. And then she waited. Well, y'all think this is going to end like she got her man. That's what you're waiting for, right? So we can, ah, you can feel that nice romantic. No, no. He never came. Ooh. Ooh. How does she respond? She didn't sit on the shores of China waiting for his boat to arrive. She instead gave herself to China's orphans, teaching, adopting, protecting, and leading many to Jesus. While she waited to become a wife, she became a mother to hundreds of Chinese children. You see, regardless of our situation, God has a work for us to do in our waiting. We have lonely people that we need to befriend. We got refugees that we need to welcome. There are people around the globe that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in other nations. There are classes to teach, people to disciple, places where God has placed you to step into your gifting and calling for the glory of his name and his kingdom. God taught me this as a teacher. I remember teaching when I was a teacher in the Compton Unified School District. And I found myself always looking forward. And I remember there came a point where finally, after years, 
I accepted the fact that God had me present. And I've told this story before, but me and my wife came to that final resolve after years of me teaching in Compton. I wanted to be in full-time ministry. I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be preaching. But God had me teaching in the Compton Unified School District. And my eye was constantly toward this. I remember God looking at me at some point finally saying, Ray, you're not there. I may not even have you there. That's for me to know. I have you here with these kids in the inner city that need Jesus, that don't have father figures and need somebody that they can look to for what it really looks like to see and know a living God. And I settled myself and said, Lord, if this is what you have for me for the rest of my days, I'm going to be a teacher in the Compton Unified School District. And now as I reflect back on it, that ministry was a wonderful one. I saw some of my students years later say, hey, Mr. Cosley, man, I still remember when you, man, I still remember when you did, I did a math lesson using the Trinity. (laughs) If any teachers want to know how I did that, I got y'all, I'll hook y'all up. But God used it. But not only was it a ministry for me, it was a maturity. See, Joseph needed to be matured in the pit, in the prison, and in Potiphar's house. And I had to be matured. Because really, in so many ways, it prepared me for pastoral ministry. If you could deal with a bunch of middle school kids in the inner city all day, 35, 36 kids in a classroom, you can deal with church folk. That's, 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 that's cakewalk. I learned how to teach. I had to sit every single day and figure out how I could take these big, broad concepts and bring them down so that they could eat them and understand them and, and, and divulge those things so they could get it. You see, there was a ministry, but there was a maturity. You see, in the, it's in the waiting room for God. It's in our waiting rooms that God's doing a work. And guess what? He's more interested in you than what you're waiting for. Because here's the reality. The thing that you're waiting for, you can't take with you into eternity. But who you are, you will. Who you become is who you will take into eternity with. Again, my, my, uh, my daughter's um, fiance, Sawyer, he heard this quote. and He said, he told it to me and I said, I'm going to use that. It's when you're born, you look like your parents. When you die, you'll look like your decisions. How you decide how you live in your present is the most important thing for you right now. How you will decide to live your present is what matters most. Will you redeem the time and engage in the ministry that God has for you in your waiting and let the time mature you? Or are you going to live in limbo, constantly living for the hope deferred, stalled, motionless, 
Or are you going to redeem the time? See, this is what it looks like to walk in a patient waiting. You got to look back and see all the ways that God has demonstrated that he's met you. You got to look up and see the enormity of the God and who he is that's for you. You got to look forward and know he's going to show up. He's going to act. You're going to run with a strength that you didn't have before. You're going to walk in a way that you never did. You're going to soar on wings like you've never soared before. It's coming. But while you wait, look down and root yourself in the present and live in the ministry and allow God to do the maturity that he's wanting you to do in your waiting. Well, that's easier said than done, and so I want to close with a prayer exercise. Yeah, sure. I know you're supposed to look up, look back, look down, look forward. But where do I get the strength to even do that? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you just can't look up? Well, if you are, or I can guarantee you will find yourself there. I want to encourage you to do four different expressions of prayer. The first one, pray, strengthen me, God, to wait patiently. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. You see, when Paul says to strengthen them with patience according to God's glorious might, he doesn't just mean that it takes divine power to walk in patience, but he means that you have to put your faith in his glorious might to give you the ability to walk in that patience. Pray, God, I don't have the strength right now to look back. I don't have the strength right now. Will you use your glorious might and impress it upon my weakness? Secondarily, pray, keep me from foolish shortcuts. We're familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah, are we not? We know they took a what? A shortcut. Unless you're not like me, which I think probably you are, I'm more prone to take shortcuts, especially when I've been waiting longer than I'd like to. And I'll settle for the Ishmael instead of the Isaac. Your Isaac is coming. Ishmael is your own strength. And when you try to fix your situation in the way that you want it, it enables you to step into a place where you are now God. And that's the last place you want to be. Because you know what comes behind that? Destruction and ruin. Whenever I've taken a shortcut, that's the way it ends. How about you? Pray, God, 
Keep me from foolish shortcuts. And the last two are this. Pray. Awaken me to today. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118, 24. Waiting can pressure us to live in two places at once. Our bodies are present in the here and now, but our hearts are longing for the future. We're longing for our fantasy world. And I want to encourage you to pray, God, will you awaken me to today? As Scott Hubbard says, we need God to awaken us to today. Today, God's mercies came up with the sunrise. Lamentations chapter 3. Today, the heavens sing his beauty. Psalm 19. Today, God rehearses the story of his love. Romans 5. Today, we have a cross to pick up. Luke chapter 9. Today, we have people to listen to, serve, and forgive. Colossians chapter 3. Today, we have good works to walk in. Ephesians chapter 2. No matter how mundane and no matter how far off your world of dreams are, today is the day that the Lord has made. It is a gift, even if it isn't the gift that you expected. Let's walk in today. Awaken me to today. And then the last prayer that I want to encourage us is God, will you remind me of what I'm really waiting for? You see, in this world, we're all waiting for something a spouse, a job, a prodigal, a marriage, a better marriage. Release from depression, financial freedom. But as Hubbard says, but for Christians, the tremors of something greater rumble beneath all of these good gifts. You know what we're waiting for? A new world where righteousness bursts through the air and sky, 2 Peter chapter 3. We're waiting for a new body finally delivered from death and decay. Romans chapter 8. We're waiting for a new power when sin will lose its last hold on us. Galatians chapter 5. But most of all, we're waiting for our king. We're waiting for King Jesus. And one side of his face will banish sadness forever. One note from his voice will swallow every disappointment. One moment in his presence will cast away every single discouraging thing that we've endured for a lifetime into the depths of a sea. 
we need God to remind us of what we're really waiting for. What eye has seen, what ear has heard, and what heart has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. We're going to sing a new song that we haven't sung as a church that I thought was adequate for the theme of this message. And in verse 2 of the song, it's by Shane and Shane, it says, There's mercy in the waiting. There's manna for today. And when it's gone, I know you're not. You are my hope and stay. When the sea is raging, your spirit is my help. He'll fix my eyes on Jesus Christ. And I'll say that it is well. Oh, I know that it is well. So as the worship team sings this song, if you know it, sing it. But I want you to take time to just meditate on the words and let the Holy Spirit speak to you through it as they sing.